If you ache for truth, goodness, and beauty, if you're hungry for a Christianity with substance and strength, if you long for a faith that's big and bold and biblical and all about Jesus Christ, if you're inspired by the idea of one church that has spanned 20 centuries, 24 time zones, and two hemispheres, enfolding every race, nation, and language, then you're considering Catholicism. Well, welcome back to Considering Catholicism. I am here with Corey. Hello. We are gathered here today, dearly beloved, to speak about marriage. Yes. Yes, like in The Princess Bride, if you get that reference. But we are going to talk about marriage because we've had a listener write in about a week or so ago, a young man named Leighton, who wrote in asking about the differences between Protestant understandings of marriage that he grew up with or civil Mm -hmm. understandings of marriage, non-denominational understandings of marriage. Sure and what the Catholic Church teaches about marriage, okay? Mm -hmm. And so what we're going to try to do in this episode is highlight those differences, okay? And what we're going to not try to do in this episode, because it would turn into a six-episode thing, (laughs) is unpack all of the complexity of Catholic teaching on marriage philosophically, historically, theologically, and everything else. What we're going to try to do here is illustrate the differences, right? Okay. So the first difference that I want to highlight is the difference in terminology. Sure, sure. Okay. And you and I have been talking offline about this <laughs> uh, and had a robust discussion. <laughs> um, so when a non-Catholic talks about marriage, they tend to talk about the institution of marriage. Sure. Okay. Which is a... Catholics would use the term natural law. Non-Catholics would not use the term natural law, but it's just part of the human experience. Mm -hmm. Almost every culture throughout history, every religion throughout history has practiced marriage or had marriage as an institution in one form or another. Sure. Yeah. That it's a human universal that God created man and woman and that they, they have marriages. And it's how human societies have always tended to organize themselves from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Now they may have differences in terms of polygamy, monogamy. They may have had differences about who can get married, when they can get married, under what circumstances they get married. They may have differences as to whether it is a function of the state or a function of their religion. Muslims get married, Jews get married, Buddhists get married, atheists get married. Okay. So when we talk about marriage and someone says, what does the Catholic Church teach about marriage? Certainly the Catholic Church has teachings about marriage. But what I'm trying to drive at here is for the Catholic Church, there is another word, and that is matrimony, because the Catholic Church understands marriage to be a sacrament, the sacrament of matrimony. And so just for the purposes of our conversation here, I'm going to distinguish so it just becomes clear from a vocabulary standpoint to listener. Between marriage, this is a little bit of artificial distinction, I want to talk about the difference between marriage, which is this human institution that Buddhists and Muslims and secular people and everybody practices, Mm -hmm. and the more distinctive institution of the Catholic sacrament of matrimony. Right. With me? Mm -hmm. And what I want to do is highlight the differences between how marriage is understood outside the Catholic Church versus how it's understood inside the Catholic Church as a sacrament of matrimony. Right, right. Makes sense? Yep, because that addresses the, the question that the listener had. Okay. So, 
again, marriage as an institution, as a common institution, I want to go back to the Protestant Reformation. Catholic Church taught that marriage was a sacrament. Mm-hmm. Protestant reformers, Martin Luther, John Calvin, the rest come along, and they reject most of the sacraments of the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church had seven sacraments. They rejected five of them, including mm-hmm. the sacrament of matrimony. They still had marriage, but they practiced marriage outside that context right. of sacramental. They did not con- consider it to be one of them. Yeah. Correct. And they had different understandings of marriage as a result of that. Mm-hmm. So, for example, Luther and a lesser degree Calvin and shades of difference between them largely understood marriage as a contractual or covenantal relationship between the people involved. So man meets woman, woman meets man, families meet, decide to contract a marriage. Mm -hmm. And it is a contract that has, in a sense, terms and conditions attached to it. And what I was taught in seminary, what Protestants believe, non-denominational, and certainly secular people believe, is that that contract can be terminated Mm -hmm. under certain conditions, just like if I have a contract with a whatever. And if specified in the terms of that contract, if you break the terms, the contract is null and void. Right. So, for example, infidelity would be considered grounds for terminating the contract Mm. and maybe some other things like abuse or whatever. So let me go back to when I was a Protestant evangelical pastor and I was operating under that assumption because that's what I was taught man or woman comes into my office, says, my spouse has been cheating on me. Mm-hmm. This is having an affair. In fact, this is their second affair. And I'm just broken about this. I don't think I can stay in this marriage. What I said at the time, because it was my understanding, was what I was taught, is you have valid grounds for divorce. And we have this verse from Jesus where he says, hey, marriage is given and divorce is only given in cases of adultery or blah, blah, blah. And so that was our understanding. If your spouse is cheating on you or abusing you or doing certain kinds of things, financial shenanigans or whatever we have the list, then yeah, you're, you're free to seek a divorce. And if you then meet a nice man or woman in the church who's a good person and you want to remarry, I'd be happy to perform your second marriage. Mm-hmm. So there's a completely different understanding. And uh, one of the things that happened when the reformers did that by taking it outside of the context of the church, guaranteeing and supervising marriage as a sacrament of matrimony, what historically happened is it moved it into the civil sphere, which made it subject to civil courts, Mm -hmm. not ecclesial courts. And it made marriage a essentially civil function that operated or operates to this day under the government, Mm -hmm. which is why we go down to the county courthouse, we sign this, and marriage is largely governed in our society, our societies today, by civil government. Right. And, rules and, and laws of that. Yeah, and governs similar to other contracts. I mean, you you break an, it's, you break your lease, you break another contract. Like there are there are terms, right. there are ways out of it. That that's how marriage tends to be governed. Now we can make the point that the Protestants are wrong, <laughs> and the civil people are wrong. That that's not really what it is. And the Catholic Church has a more full and complete understanding. But again, what I'm trying to get at is let's highlight the differences. So right. if we are making a list on the board and said, Protestants believe about marriage that number one, it is a primarily civil contract 
or a covenant between the people involved. And there may be a spiritual dimension right. to and, it. And I think there usually is. Oh, yeah. sure. I mean, like as a Protestant, I believe that my family and my behavior, heck, I would have believed that if I had a business partner that we should conduct our business in a Christian manner. Mm-hmm. But we didn't believe it was a sacrament and we didn't believe that it was an unbreakable bond. And those two follow from each other. Yeah. Yeah. And we didn't, there are some other distinctives that you're going to get to in a Mm -hmm. second of things that follow from the Catholic understanding of marriage as the sacrament of matrimony that Protestants didn't believe. For example, Protestants had no problem with contraception. You're mm-hmm. going to talk about that yep, in a minute. Yep, that's the next thing I was um, going to bring up. So we could decide to have children, not have children, stay married, don't stay married, et cetera, et cetera. There's a whole list of things that the Catholic Church teaches that are very distinct from what Protestant or secular people or non-denominational evangelicals or whatever teach about marriage. Okay? Yep. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to stop talking with all this setup, and I'm going to turn it over to you. Can you highlight for us what some of those distinctives, Catholic distinctives are in the Catholic teaching or understanding of matrimony. Yep. Um, so as we already went over, the Catholic church would teach that marriage between two baptized persons, two Christians is a sacrament and therefore is a means of grace that God, God gives grace for a holy life through that. Most Protestants, more or less all Protestants do not teach that. So it's not a sacrament on the Protestant side and following from that, it is transferred to the civil sphere. And so you have the questions of dissolubility or indissolubility. The Catholic church teaches that marriage is indissoluble. It's not something that you can break. And a lot of Protestant churches do not teach that. So we covered that already. And then you had alluded to the question of contraception or, or fertility in marriage. And so it's, distinctive of the Catholic teaching that there are two primary purposes of marriage, that it's ordered to the good of the spouses. So that would be both their spiritual and their temporal good. So it's, it's there to help make them holy, make them saints, make them go to heaven. And also marriage is a very good and helpful ordering of a person's life. It's for their good physically, psychologically, all of that. But equally, the procreation and education of children, that that's intrinsic to what marriage is, its purpose, and you can't just separate from that. That doesn't mean that, of course, there isn't infertility or or these kinds of impediments that enter in, but that's part of the definition of marriage, that fertility and the procreation of children is something that should be expected and, and hoped for. It's part of the thing. Protestant churches tend not to teach that, or at least not nearly as strongly, and so therefore they don't have usually objections to thing like, things like contraception of various kinds. So the listener who wrote in about this, mm-hmm. a man named Layton, and plenty of other listeners have written in. Let, let's talk about where some of this, the rubber meets the road, yeah, so yeah, to yeah. speak on that, okay? So let's talk about the difference for a, a man or a woman in, entering into Catholic matrimony versus what in our society would be commonly understood as marriage, either in a non-denominational or Protestant or just simply secular context, Mm -hmm. okay? One is, as you just pointed out, that the matrimony Mm -hmm. needs to be open to life, which means that contraception is part. And this is a huge, like, I mean, people are like, what do you mean? Like, you can't have contraception, you have this and that. Why Mm -hmm. wouldn't you be able to? What's wrong? A lot of mockery about the Catholic church. Oh yeah. Uh, Why, why would Catholics have all of these kids like rabbits and everything else? Why don't you, you just did a second, but maybe unpack that a little bit more for the person entering into Catholic matrimony. What's the logic behind that? So it's the, the fact that 
God established marriage at, between a man and a woman, and, and part of the purpose for that is the procreation of children. And so if you frustrate that intentionally, you're breaking the thing that God made. You're using it in a way that it was not intended to be used. We could talk about other ways of frustrating the purpose of marriage. The Catholic Church teaches that contraception is wrong, and it's in fact a a mortal sin, a very serious sin, because it goes against God's purposes for marriage. Marriage is ordered towards procreation. That's part of the purpose of it. That's why it's a man and a woman. That's how God ordered mankind to bring children into the world. And so if we deliberately go against that, we frustrate that purpose of marriage, we're sort of throwing it back in God's face in a way. So- Let's go back to how, a non, let's just say a non-Catholic, I don't want to keep saying sure, Protestant, sure. but let's just say outside the Catholic Church. The understanding of the purpose of marriage is the happiness of the people involved right. and the prosperity of the people involved. So, so, so therefore be- they would say, hey, if it makes us happier to use contraception so we only have one kid or whatever, that increases our happiness and our prosperity because they believe that marriage has a different end, mm-hmm. right? That different things are licit or allowed. And so they, they would split or sort of shove off that second purpose of marriage, the procreation of children, and then hold to a sort of reduced understanding of the first one, of the good of the spouses. So it would be primarily their temporal good, their psychological good, their objective happiness in the moment, that kind of thing. And so marriage. Might, it might be nice if they want children in order to, to have that, but it, it's not seen as an essential part of marriage and therefore dispensable if they choose. So if you and I start a small business and we're going to start a, I don't know, a lawn mowing business or whatever, and here's what we're all going to contribute to that. And we hope to make money off it and be good partners. And here's the terms of that. And here's how it can be broken. So again, if you think of marriage as primarily a contractual relationship, then you're going to say, well, whatever it is that either contributes to the profitability of that as measured by whatever our stated goals are. And I think this is where outside the Catholic Church, what you're getting at is this distinction of where the openness to life, the procreation of children. So the Catholic Church isn't saying that you say only have sexual relations exclusively for the purpose Mm. of having children. Right, and that's a misunderstanding. Yep, People say, yep. "Oh, Catholics can only have sex in order to create a kid." That's not the point. It's that that union is open to whatever God does with it, mm-hmm. right? And you don't limit it, right? Yeah, and and along the lines of what you said, it's seeing marriage primarily as a contract means that you get to set the terms of the contract. That it, that it's terms that are set by individuals, individual human beings, rather than the terms being set by God. God's saying that it is ordered both to the good of the spouses and the procreation of children is is him setting the terms. Now let's turn to how the contract can be broken. So again, as I said earlier, what I was taught in seminary and what was practiced in the Protestant churches, and I don't want to get into all the verses or whatever, but you know, everybody's got their proof text. And so we had proof texts that made it sound like divorce was legitimate for cases of infidelity and abuse and this and that. So what we would have said and did say, and I mean, I can say with sadness in my heart that I, as a Protestant pastor, I did what I was, what I was taught, my denomination taught, which is somebody came in and said, hey, my husband's cheating on me. 
and and I would say, well, go to counseling and try to reconcile with him. And at the end of the day, she's like, he just won't reconcile with me, and he's not going to stop cheating. And I go, well, you're you're you've completely legitimate Christian grounds to divorce him, and if you meet a nice man at church, then you can remarry. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, the Catholic understanding of matrimony does not allow that. And there's two reasons that we would say that is one is that's not naturally how God established marriage to be as a function of natural law. Right, right. In which case you would say, well, as Protestants, we were just simply wrong. But let's go above that because I want people to understand that, that by Christ elevating it to a sacrament, that the sacraments are all outward visible signs of interior change. Right. And you can't, you can't undo your baptism. You can't, that's what you can't get unbaptized. You can't be unconfirmed. A priest who takes holy orders is, is always a priest priest, priest for life. And that doesn't mean that in those difficult situations, like your husband is cheating on you or even worse, your husband is abusing you. That doesn't mean that you have to, you, you can't separate for legitimate reasons, but you remain married. That's, the, that's the what I'm trying to drive at is it still exists. And, and we could get into a lot of philosophical nuances here that I mm-hmm. just don't want to get into, but I'm trying to keep this at a general level. Yeah, yeah. So, so the thing is, is because it's a sacrament, it produces an actual change in us, right? Mm-hmm. When you go through the sacrament of matrimony, you can't unring that bell. It can never not be done. And we're getting to that in a second here when we get into divorce and annulment and all that. You, you can never n- pretend that that didn't happen. Right. Okay. It produced a change and you will always be married to that person. And this is a huge misunderstanding. So, so one of the listeners who wrote in said, well, I, I guess I don't get it. So if a Catholic gets divorced, they can never take the Eucharist again. Or they're not supposed to take. They're trying to understand. There has a question marks right, on right. that. And they're like, I don't understand it. So now they they because they got divorced because their husband cheated on her, and now she got rid of the cheating husband, and now she can't go to communion anymore. So why don't you talk about the distinctive belief about that Catholic belief about that and teaching about that, what that and how that's grounded in that sacramental understanding. And so as we said, the, the sacrament of matrimony is indissoluble. So. If there is a, a divorce that happens, um, if, a, if a Catholic marriage is ended by civil divorce, the, in the eyes of the state, they may be divorced. In the eyes of the church, they are, they are not because that, that bond so, so let's is just, yours. Let's just yeah. camp on that for just a yeah. second. Because the church doesn't have divorce. There's no such right. thing as divorce right. in the Catholic church. And that was what I was trying to get at earlier and when you and I were talking before we started the recording. <laughs> It is. It was that shift in the Protestant Reformation, which then bled into a sort of secularism, where marriage became governed by the civil courts, mm-hmm. and the civil court said, "Well, you can go into court, and you used to have to go to divorce court, but you would go in and file to dissolve the contract, mm-hmm. and you would have to show the grounds for that." For non-Catholics trying to understand Catholic marriage or the Catholic sacrament of matrimony mm-hmm. there is no such thing in dis- right. as divorce exactly. in the catholic yeah, church that's not a Never. category yeah. you can say well i got divorced but you didn't get divorced in the church the right. church doesn't recognize the divorce right. you're talking well, about you, what the state says you went over to a courthouse mm-hmm. and first of all you registered your marriage at a courthouse as a civil contract and then at a certain point you went back to a courthouse or a county building or whatever and you 
negated that contract. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now you've got a, you had a piece of paper from the government that said you were married and now you have a piece of paper from the government that said you weren't. But the church doesn't see it that way. Right. The church says you went through this sacrament of matrimony, much like you went through baptism and now you're married. And there is no such thing as dissolving the marriage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we'll get to annulments in a second, but let's stay on this. So person says, I have an unfaithful spouse. My spouse is a lying, cheating, abusive, whatever, blah, 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 whole long list. Certainly the pastor is going to counsel them to seek their own safety. They're going to counsel them to take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. They may need to separate for their own well-being or whatever, but the but the pastor can't divorce them, can't, right. can't undo their marriage. Mm-hmm. So that person goes over, they get a civil divorce, mm-hmm. okay? Now, all right, we're going to get into two, two hypotheticals. Person gets a civil divorce, can they still take the Eucharist? So I, I assume in this hypothetical situation, what you're saying is that the, the, it wasn't this person's fault, that their spouse left them? Is that what we're Let's saying? Let's say it was. Okay. Regardless. Because I think the answer here is, if they got a civil divorce, regardless of who was at fault or who was 50% plus one at fault mm-hmm. in the, yeah, the that, breakup of the marriage, yeah, it's a more, it, they committed a mortal sin. And like all mortal sins, they can do what? Go into the confessional and confess mm-hmm. that I committed a mortal sin and receive absolution for that. What prevents them is if they remarry. So, for example, I know divorced Catholics who have repented of their divorce, mm-hmm. gone in and confessed it, just as I would that, hey, Father, 10 years ago, I murdered a guy mm-hmm. and I went to prison and I've come in. Hypothetical scenario. It, well, <laughs> <I'm, yeah. laughs> uh, but, you know, like I murdered this dude and I have confessed my sin and I have received absolution mm-hmm. for that sin. So there's a misunderstanding here that divorce in and of itself mm-hmm. does not necessarily disqualify somebody from the Eucharist. What that would do is you'd say you're, li- you're a mortal sin and you need to go to your confessor mm-hmm. okay. and perhaps receive absolution. Okay. This, I understand the distinction you're trying to make now. Okay. Where the difference comes in is I go get a civil divorce and then I get remarried mm-hmm. in a civil marriage, okay? Because the church isn't going to remarry me, but I meet somebody and we go get married at a courthouse. We go to Las Vegas. We go to a resort. We mm-hmm. hire a rent minister and go out on the beach and get married, whatever the case is. And now I go back to the courthouse and I have, I have three pieces of paper. I have the original marriage certificate. Mm-hmm. Then I have a divorce certificate and I have a new marriage certificate. Right. Now I come to the Catholic church and I say, now in the Protestant church, I would have said, great, no problem. There's no problem. You divorced and you remarried and I may have, perf- I, I performed marriages. I, I regret to say I remarried people. I performed second marriages because mm-hmm. I was, I was what I was taught in seminary. It's what our denominational rules were. Now I look back and I go, I never should have done that, but Okay. So now I come into a, the local Roman Catholic parish and I say, hey, uh, maybe, I'm a, maybe I'm a Roman Catholic. And I say, I went out and got divorced and then I got remarried and now I want to come down at the mass and take the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. Why can't I? You can't because you haven't repented of the mortal sin that, that you committed. You're, you're living 
in it. You, you are living as if you were married to a person whom you are not married to. Assuming that they're still alive, you're still married to that person that you were married to to begin with. So you're continuing to commit the, mer- the, the moral sin. You have not, not repented of it. Yeah. Yeah, even if you feel bad about it. Sure. I mean, and this just to be technical here, very precise in our language, right? When some people say repent, they mean I feel bad about sure, it. I feel like guilt. I feel yeah. guilty about it. That's not what we're talking about. What you can't do is when you go into a confessional and you say, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned, right? Mm-hmm. You have to make an act of contrition, right? In which you say what? Well, you both say that you're sorry for the sin, but also that you fully intend not to commit the sin again. You are okay. turning away and walking in the opposite direction from the sin. So now if I'm living with my new spouse mm-hmm. and we are living as husband and wife and all that entails, I can't exactly say, because now what I'm doing is, and we're driving at this, is I have essentially under the teaching of the Catholic Church, I am committing what? Adultery. Adultery. Because that first marriage still exists in the eyes of the church Mm -hmm. and you have now married somebody else and are therefore committing adultery. Even if the civil government does not consider it adultery, Mm -hmm. the church says, yeah, just like you were baptized and you're always baptized, you were married and now you're living with somebody else and essentially living in adultery. Right. Now, if I go into the confessional, I say, Father, forgive me, I've sinned, blah, blah, blah. And, and, the, and Father says, well, well I, I'm, I'm, I'm remarried. And he goes, well, well, are you going to, with firm resolve, fix that? No, I'm going to keep doing it. Well, he can't do what? He can't absolve you. I said to somebody recently who asked me about this, I gave an, an analogy, and I, maybe this isn't the best analogy, but I said, mm-hmm. Suppose I'm an organized, a head of an organized crime organization. Again, right? hypothetically. Hypothet- yes. I just <laughs> hypothetically. So I'm the head of a drug cartel or whatever. I'm the Godfather, and I go into the confessional. I say, "Father, forgive me for I have sinned." I'm the head of an organized crime family, and every day I I, uh, I order hits on people and everything else. And he says, "Wow, it's just terrible." He goes, "Well, son, do you do you?" Did you firmly commit to change your life and not commit the same error? Oh, no, no. I, I mean, I run the crime family. I'm going to keep doing it. <laughs> I have an appointment this afternoon. <laughs> I've got yeah. an appointment with a hitman this afternoon to put out a contract on somebody. And you go, well, then I can't absolve you. Mm-hmm. It is the remarrying part that becomes the sticky wicket. Yeah. And in your original scenario, I'm, I'm glad we clarified what you meant because I, I could... I could posit another scenario that would be a little bit different. Let's say that you have a husband and a wife and the husband abandons the wife, goes off with someone else, gets a civil divorce. The wife did not consent to that, did not want that, did not get remarried. That would not be her fault. That would not be a mortal sin from her perspective because she did not do it. She didn't consent to it. There wouldn't even be a mortal sin there to, to go to confession and, and be absolved right. of. And that, in that sense, it would not be her fault. She'd be civilly divorced, but it wouldn't have been something that she did with, with her own will. Oh, yeah. And so we, we have people in the church who are like that as, as well. Oh yeah. And, and again, like even having been a Protestant pastor and sat in these kinds of counseling mm-hmm. sessions and dealt with these things, the, the spectrum of, of culpability is so wide. Oh, sure. Where yeah. you say, is it a hundred percent someone's fault? And then I didn't have a choice and they divorced me or was I 10% at fault or 20, or did I just get broken down and decide to agree to the divorce? I mean, whatever there's mm-hmm. all, and, and that, and, and you sort that out in, in the confessional with your confessor. So I'm just saying in general though, divorce in and of itself does not prevent somebody from taking the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
they aren't prevented from taking the Eucharist because they're divorced. Because depending on their level of culpability, it's a sin which can be confessed and absolved. Mm -hmm. It is, especially in our society today, that second marriage. Right. And that's because it's a form of unrepentance from the sin. Yeah. So someone says, well, wait a minute. Is there no way out of the bad marriage? Is there no way for second marriages? Mm -hmm. And this is where the Catholic Church says, no, there is no way to divorce there is something called annulment. Annulment, and annulment is an interesting word, right? It comes like the word null, like null and void. Mm-hmm. And annulment is a pronouncement that no valid marriage ever occurred in the first place. And so sometimes you hear people talk about this like it's Catholic divorce. It's not Catholic divorce. It's not some kind of legal fiction in order to get around the fact that the marriage is real and we just don't want it to be. It usually involves an extensive investigation. There there are uh, tribunals at, at Catholic dioceses specifically set up for this. It has to be established for one of several reasons. And I think you'll, you'll be talking yeah, with someone about those reasons. We're going to do an episode real soon with somebody who mm-hmm. works with the tribunals yeah. and walk us through that. But for one of several reasons, the marriage was not real to begin with. So let's give a hypothetical. Yeah. Let's suppose that the most obvious one was a lack of consent. Right. Coercion. So, coercion. So let's suppose there's a, a young woman who basically gets some kind of shotgun marriage situation where her father or somebody coerces her to marry some man that she never mm-hmm. really consented to marry. They perform some kind of crazy shotgun wedding. And at some point that falls apart. She may say, or be able to go to the church and say, it's not that I'm divorcing, it's that that was never really a valid marriage. It wasn't mm-hmm. two people entering into the sacrament of matrimony. The sacrament of matrimony net didn't actually occur. Right. And that's that word annulment, like null and void. Right. And, and something we didn't talk about, but that uh, is brought up by this, is that consent is the basis of the sacrament. Like two people have to know what they're getting into and be consenting to that. And so if, if that doesn't take place, then there was not a sacrament done. Well, and, and for example, and again, we're going to have another guest on here uh, soon who's going to talk about the marriage tribunals and annulments mm-hmm. and all the ins and outs of that. But, but another one might be, say, deception. Sure. So let's suppose, I'm just picking on the woman or whatever, but there's a woman and she meets this nice man and he says his name is, I don't know, John Jones or whatever, and he's an architect or whatever, Art <laughs> Vandelay, and he's an architect <laughs> and blah, blah, blah. And then she marries a guy and finds out he's a con man mm. and that's not his real name and it's not that and he's married to three other people and he's like a con man. Well, she would then say, well, wait a minute, it wasn't really a valid sacrament of matrimony because mm-hmm. I, I didn't even know right. this person. You were lured in under false pretenses. Well, and yeah, so there wasn't two people with full awareness and consent entering into the sacrament. So in the cases where you see Catholics who may be in a second marriage, and there are those cases, they have gone through the annulment process, which is not a divorce, but a recognition that the first marriage was never valid, that no sacrament of matrimony ever occurred. And then they are given permission to enter into their first and only legitimate sacrament of matrimony mm-hmm. because the first one wasn't. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's a serious process and it's not a guarantee. Like you may have an annulment investigation that, that turns up evidence that, well, it was a valid marriage. You, it can't be annulled then. Yeah. Right. Right. So these are some of the distinctives here between that sort of contemporary 
civil evangelical or Protestant understanding of marriage as a contract. I mean, there's so many things, and you and I were talking before we got started, we had a pretty robust conversation. I mean, we're just barely scratching the surface because what the Catholic Church teaches about marriage is, I mean, there's a lot. There's like 20 pages in the catechism, and it's it's full and it's rich and all that. But really wanted to kind of highlight these differences here. And so when someone comes to the Catholic Church and says, wait a minute, are you saying that people can't take communion? This is one of the reasons we're going to kind of stop here and and we'll maybe do another episode where we talk about some of these misconceptions because mm-hmm. one of the things that is a hot potato topic in the Catholic church right now, and that's maybe we can get to in the second thing is all of these people in what are sometimes known as these irregular situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So take somebody who says, and I know lots of people like this. I was part of an evangelical church. My spouse cheated on me. I went to the pastor and the elders. We went through counseling. Exhausting all the possibilities in counseling, the pastor and the elders said, your spouse is just not going to come around. It's valid for you to divorce them. They divorce them. Two years later, they meet a nice person and they get remarried and their pastor and the elders bless that second marriage and perform it in the church. Okay? Fast forward five years, 10 years, 20 years, they become interested in Catholicism, mm-hmm. right? And they're considering the Catholic church and they go, wait a minute, am I in, a, am I in an irregular, adulterous marriage? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people because I think that the sexual revolution over the last 50, 60 years basically pulled all the Jenga sticks out of oh, the yeah, Jenga just pile, blew, the whole, thing up. blew yeah. the whole thing up, just sort of nuked the whole institution of marriage. It's all shattered into a million little pieces. And there's all kinds of people in all these irregular situations trying to sort that back out. And to the credit of Pope Francis, okay, and you can get into a whole lot of things about whether it's teachings and the controversies about this. I think there is an awareness that we have to find a way for people who have found themselves in all these shattered million little pieces to try to put Humpty Dumpty back together again and put their lives back together and relationship with Mm -hmm. the church back together. But what we have to get past are all these misconceptions and misunderstandings about what the church teaches. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to give you the last word because I've steered this. And I know you have a lot of thoughts because you shared with me oh, before. Oh, sure, yeah. Well, I'm going to give you the last word on this episode. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think the the main thing to keep in mind is just that there are differences in what you're, you'll hear about marriage in a Protestant or secular context and in a Catholic context. And if you understand what those differences are, then you're, you're going to clear up the the confusion versus trying to think that we're talking all about the same thing with the same definition. Yeah. Good. Okay. So I think we're going to have another conversation in a couple of days here about these irregular situations, Mm -hmm. because trying to hopefully in this episode here, establish a little bit of the ground rules. Now I want to kind of explore a little bit, all these kinds of misunderstandings with respect to irregular marriages, civil marriages, same-sex marriages, all the kinds of things that are complicating this for the church and for people to understand it. And how, in the beginning of the 21st century, do you, do you untangle, what's the right metaphor, untangle the ball of yarn mm. or put the broken pieces all back together again? How do we get back to establishing an, you know, an understanding of marriage and the practice of the sacrament of matrimony within a society that this runs completely counter to what's right, saying, right. right? Okay. Hey, thanks, Corey. Hey, real quickly, if you've appreciated this episode, that's great. Would you rate 
and review the podcast on whatever podcast platform you're on. That really helps us improve searches. And would you follow or subscribe to the podcast? There'll be a button for either. And would you go to the website, which is consideringcatholicism.com. You can see all kinds of resources there. All of the episodes are categorized there and searchable by topic. And you can also choose to support this ministry so that we can expand it and help more people to consider Catholicism. Thank you, Corey. Thank you. And we'll, we'll, I'm sure, be diving into this offline and on again. Yes. Okay.